Welcome back to the podcast, everyone. Today I'm with uh, a hidden gem. Oh my God, there's something in my throat there. <clears throat> a hidden gem in the Seattle music scene. He adds a, an extra flair to these cool, like concerts in Seattle from hip hop, bands. What he does, he does these like cool, like light shows. And he also does music videos and films. It's just a all around creative. And I'm excited to have them on the podcast. It's my pleasure to have. Blaze in space or John? Thank you. Thanks for having me, Blake. Yeah, of course. I uh, do use they them pronouns though. Oh shoot, on that one. My bad. So tell tell me about that. What is? I'm not. I'm. I'm accepting of everyone, right? Mm-hmm. But I feel like for me, I don't go around being like. Actually, I'm not black. I'm brown. Right. You know what I mean. So I feel like, especially in a Seattle, and like in Seattle, right. It is a weird thing where it's like a mixture of it being liberal and like a fake liberal. Like people want to be woke when it fits their needs. Right. But I want, I'm want. i just curious on how they, them culture like fits into Seattle and why is a thing where I have no mm. problem being corrected, but why it has become a thing over the past few years, few years where people feel like they need to correct someone with that. Oh, I mean, well, let me pull that apart a little bit. Okay. I think in this circumstance, it would be like if I called you Billy instead of Blake. Okay, okay. You would be like, well, that's not who I am, Mm. right? So when it comes to like race where you're like, oh, I'm not going to go out of my way to say like I'm white or like you were saying, like Mm -hmm. I'm this shade, I'm not this shade. Right, right. Um, That's sort of like. Apples to oranges? I think it, yeah, I don't know if there's a direct correlation there. Wow. I do think there is something about. Um, I think I could say this as being a white person that I'm aware of like how much space I want to take up in other spaces Mm -hmm. or I try to be. Okay. And so there are definitely times where I feel like bringing up my pronouns is not the issue Mm. at hand. You know, I think it's more like in direct conversation or for me, it's like if I just want to be seen accurately, like that's my gender. I'm non-binary. I'm not a man. What's an example? Like what if if it was, hmm. This is gonna be just some exaggerated examples, fuck. So like, uh, would if you were talking to just like someone at a coffee shop, versus like, if the president of the United States was like, we need him to press the button right now to detonate whatever, like, would you correct him, the same way you'd correct someone at a coffee shop, or is that situational? Oh, I mean, definitely situational and to the individual, not, you know, like, for example, I don't mind being called, like, dude. Right. Or if someone's like, hey, man, that usually doesn't bother me because yeah. I don't feel like they're saying you're a boy. Mm. Right. Um, but so if the president says, like, we need him to hit that switch right now, it's like, I mean, that's up to you. Right. <laughs> How much? <laughs> wait, wait, wait. <laughs> <laughs> but that, I think that it goes back to it being more like a name, you know, like if yeah. they're like, we need Frank to hit the switch. And you're like, I'm actually John. Oh, is it relevant then? Okay. You know, so I think it's only you know the only reason I correct you is you know you're telling people Dude, this who is a safe I story. am. This is a safe place. Yeah. Hell oh yeah. no, totally. And I'm I'm happy to talk about it. So um, and it and like I said, it's different for everybody. There mm-hmm. are definitely non-binary people who don't want to be called dude. Right. Um, who for them that's like being like you're a boy. Mm-hmm. So you, that, that's how it's feeling as you're being called that over and over again. Okay. So it can add like a little weird thing to a conversation. So yeah, if I'm gonna get close to somebody, I'll usually. Just let them know, like, I'm non-binary. I'm not a boy. Mm. So that's if and, you're going to speak about me and you want to be accurate. Yeah, I want to be yeah. accurate. And what does that come from, like, 
a societal change where people feel more accepted they can say that? Or has it has it always been a thing and it's just now it's because of like social media it's more prominent and people are Well, I think it's definitely education. It's not that there weren't non-binary people and there are now. There have always been people that are on different ends of the gender spectrum that don't fit into what being a man means in Mm. social construct or what being a female means in social construct. So there's nothing new about someone saying, like, I'm not a man or a woman, but I have both man and woman qualities to me. Mm -hmm. And it's a spectrum for me. Um, That's been around for thousands of years. So I think what's new is the education of a pronoun of changing your grammatical speak. So instead of like in like the 20s, it would be like common to say like it. You would be an it if you were like non-binary. And that's kind of. But now, yeah, now that's like, (laughs) you know, it'd be like saying oriental instead of Asian. It's like that they're not an object. They're a human being. So they them would be more accurate than like it because it's possessive like he and she is. When it comes to Seattle. I do think it is like it's a safety thing. Mm. Like in in Seattle, I don't feel that it in most situations, I don't feel it makes me unsafe to say like, hey, I'm a trans person, mm. you know, which is kind of what saying they them is. It's mm. like saying like I might not fit into your like man woman rules here. But they're different. though. Trans and they them are different. It depends for everyone. Like for me as a non-binary person, I consider myself a, a part of the trans community. You know, it's not all about transitioning. Mm. But so it's not like a mental thought? I thought like trans, I'm going to sound so ignorant, but I thought trans people usually, it's like a mental thought where they're like, I'm I'm genuinely like a girl in a guy body or a guy in a girl body. But then you're saying you're neither. So how right. is that trans? Uh, Well, because like I said, like trans isn't from like transsexual or transitioning, right? It's a, it's oh. a word that, that umbrellas a uh, meaning of gender that's outside of binary oh. man, woman. Oh, so, so it's like it's like saying like, like I don't know. Like a trans to... woman is a woman, right? right? She says she's a woman. She's a woman. Her gender is up to her. So it's like bicycle. It's not up for me so to like say any... you're not a woman. You're a trans woman, right? right? That would be inappropriate. So so trans is just something that you put on. And you could attach something to the end of it, or no? Because like um, like transgender, trans man, trans. I don't. Yeah, I mean, I think it's just a it's it's a word that describes a category, not a person. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, can you give so, like an example, like hmm, maybe outside of like race and sex? Like what's a what would be an umbrella term? I'm trying to think of like an umbrella term for something that's similar. to. Oh, like the trans community. I mean, I think you could say like, uh, well, like the the tennis playing community or something like that. It's, it's then, something that brings people together to describe them. Right. Like people from the south. Oh, that makes people okay, who consider yeah. themselves trans. So I would be oh. a person who considers themselves trans. And that would put me with, so it's just a, you know, it's it's a group you join by yourself just by being one of those people. Uh, that probably um, comes, I'm probably not alone there with thinking that it was just one thing, right? Yeah, well, I think there's, like, that uh, I think there's a hunger for like, where are the rules here? Mm. Right? Like you're asking me, like, yeah, so, yeah. so how, what can I know to not make mistakes or yeah, like yeah. that kind of thing? And I like to bring it back to like, it's just like talking about a person, you mm. know, just uh, sort of like, instead of saying like, uh, a criminal. It's like a person who was convicted of a crime, <laughs> right? That leaves room for all the other things about that person that might not be like they're always committing crime. They're a criminal. They're just yeah. a person who committed a crime then. You but know? Someone... And it also opens up for the definition of crime, right? Because yeah. now we know crime is like a legal thing. So it's not. Mm. So I think in that way, it would be like saying that person considers themselves trans 
you know, it would be it, it would be that person's expression of their own gender. What about with like everyone having to do that now, though, like on like uh, on like uh, job application or social media or like school? Like, why has it become a thing where like I don't I guess it's I guess you do that with race already, too. But I'm just wondering, like, how did yeah. it become such a I'm, I'm not even saying popularized. But how did it become such a thing where it's like everywhere now? I think it's like, about inclusivity and education. Okay. So if, if there's no, because everyone says, oh, well, there's only he, she, right? So an easy argument to like, why should I give, why should I give you the courtesy of using they, them pronouns mm. would be, I don't have to anywhere else, right? I go to the airport, he, she. I go to school, he, she. So it mm. becomes very easy for people who uh, find themselves like relating to binary genders, like man, being a man or a woman to be like, well, you don't exist. Mm. Right. Like that was what the Trump organization was trying to do by taking those things out, by taking mm. out they them from forms, by not letting you be they them on your driver's license. It's a way of saying you don't exist. You're not a person. But is you this have like... to pick he she. You, you, you're you not they them. And I get to tell you that because I'm the state and I give you two options. Is this everywhere, though, or is this more in America right now? Oh, everywhere. Yeah. Worldwide. Absolutely. And yeah. so was this a thing that like I think for a lot of people, they feel like it happened like overnight. But has this like been a thing that's been like gradually growing for like decades or what? Oh, like I said, thousands of years. There have always okay. been yeah, people yeah. around the world who didn't fall into these two buckets in the gender spectrum. But I think just like learning anything new, it feels like it didn't even exist. And mm. now it's like, where did this come from? But you just didn't know. And I relate that to my like my own gender journey. Right. Like I didn't have all this language to explain how I felt about being a man or being called a man, right? Okay. Like, I never really liked having the name John. It just, I don't know, you know. It didn't, you don't look like a John. Didn't feel like it called to me. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, maybe there's even, like, there are a lot of Johns, right? And there yeah. are a lot of other, it, when I was growing up, there were a lot of, like, men who I was friends with who were also named John. And so there's this kind of common, like, you're one of them kind yeah, of yeah. thing. And uh, so for me, knowing other non-binary people and learning about their experience, right? I start to have that language in my mind mm. for how to describe my experience. And then I sort of had a moment, I was at a show and it was sort of like, you know, they had a sign that was sort of like for the crew, right? Okay. And there was no gender in it, right? It was just like for the, and somebody had said something like, oh, you do the lights, you're the man behind the curtain. And that kind of like stung me a little, but I've, mm. then I've, I was like, why? Why does it bother me to be the man? Right. And I was like, right, I don't have to be a man. That's up to me. Like, I get to decide my gender. Huh. And so that is what let me into like, oh, I didn't realize I was having this this other problem that was taking up all this space in my life was me like trying to fit into a box that I don't fit in. That's so a name thing. But what about this? What about grammatically? Isn't that wrong a little bit to be like they, them? No, it's actually correct. There uh, are tons of examples in the English language of they, them being used in a singular way. It doesn't oh. just mean plural. So that's just a sort of a, you know, who goes to English. Not many people continue to go to English class after their senior year in high school. So, <laughs> But everybody wants to talk about the rules of grammar and yeah, nobody yeah. knows them. Yeah. You know. Well, um, so, yeah, for me, once I changed my pronouns to they, them, or once I was like, well, I'm non-binary, does that mean that I want to be they, them? And I started thinking about that. Um, suddenly, John didn't, I didn't really have a problem with John. Mm. The problem wasn't with the name John. It was just people saying, like, you're you're, like, you're a boy, you're, you're in this box. Yeah. You know, and I was, like, in, into Irish dancing and stuff as a kid. So, you yeah. know, like a lot of trans people, I'm sort of 
you're in the boys team. They're going to wear the pretty dresses. Mm. You're going to wear a skinny tie. You know, like you're going to wear these boring shoes. They're going to get these cool shoes. Right. And like you're me as the queer kid is like kind of this weird part of me is like, I want a fancy dress, mm. but I'm not allowed to want a fancy dress. Right. So, so for me, that didn't mean I want to be a woman. Right. right it just right. meant I had a problem with being a man. So but uh, so Jack, wait, I just completely just said that together. Is sex and gender the same thing or are they different? Like I'm so... I think sex is an action of gender. I think gender is a law of nature. Like, I think everything has gender. Everything okay. has a sort of a positive and a negative pulse to okay. it in nature. And that's what creates rhythm that makes almost everything exist, right? Including human beings banging and then making babies. So I think gender is a law of nature and it's a spectrum. And sex is an action of gender, is mm. when gender is put into. Uh, reality is an action. So what about like what about like a dog or something? Can like a dog be like a they them? Or is this more just like a human evolution thing? I don't thing know. Can a dog claim its own gender, right? Think like, about this. Do we even like we don't even know if a dog like in its species is actually a dog. We just call it a dog. Well exactly. It's not really, is it? Yeah, we don't it's know. It's just it another life form, right? Yeah. Uh so <laughs> you know, the they them, it's like we're we're only in dealing in our own human game here, right? Yeah. To the dogs, to fish, you know, there's plenty of frogs that switch gender oh, during yeah, yeah, their yeah. life, yeah. right? And they just do it naturally. So there's nothing unnatural about transness. There's nothing unnatural about somebody saying, I'm non-binary. I don't fit into the man box. I don't fit into the woman box. Some days I feel more feminine. Some days I feel more masculine. Um, and there's nothing unnatural about somebody starting as a boy with a penis and then ending their life as a woman with whatever they want. Hmm. Um that's an expression of like their gender in their life. Yeah. It's natural, just as natural as dogs, just as natural as grass. What's yes. grass is gender, <laughs> right? But does that mean after having this conversation, does that mean I have to ask everyone first? Like what? I think that that can help you not misgender people. Right. But uh, I think that's sort of up to everyone. You know, I'm sure a lot of non-binary people who might be watching or listening are like, yes, please. Mm. You know, I mean, I know for me, it gives me an opportunity, right? Like if someone, like I like to do it when I meet people because it's a sort of like do to others what you want done to you, right? So it's, if I'm going into a situation and I want to be gendered properly, usually I'll say like, I'm John, I use they, them pronouns, mm. giving this opening for like, if anybody else, you know, if I'm directing a music video, even if I'm not sure if anybody else has a gender that I wouldn't assume just from looking at them. I'll right. have everybody say it just because it's up to you, mm -hmm. right? So I don't think it's up to the person, just like it's not up to me if I say hello to you to already know your name. Yeah, yeah. But if you tell me your name and then I start calling you by something else, then mm. we kind of start having a different relationship than just two people saying hello and becoming friendly. What about, what about, um, would it be safe if I just said like they, them to like everyone? Because then that can mean multiple things. That could be like, they just went to this store or you're they, right. right? So, or is that is that would that just be seen as like lazy or rude if I just said I everyone's think it's, uh, It can be a good first step if you're <laughs> worried about misgendering people, mm. uh, but I don't think that it's the ultimate step. No, I don't think that. <laughs> I think that it's for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've had more success with uh, remembering just... my friend's gender and saying it correctly by just thinking like I want to know who this person says they are right 
and that's who I want to think of them in my mind. I don't think like I'm trying to remember a word, mm. right? So like I work with like just yeah so many non-binary artists in Seattle, like the Queen, you know, Occlusions, uh, Leah. Uh, I mean, there it, so many Nick Mazinke and all these people. It's not like really a conversation about gender because like that's who they say they are. So of course they are. It's just accepting someone's name. Okay, yeah, yeah, I get yeah. it. Yeah, pretty straightforward. I have no. No qualms here. No, no, it's cool. Yeah. I, I I know you come from a place of learning, and I think it's uh, one of the cool things about the NAS podcast. Thank you, <laughs> and thank uh, you. what I appreciate it is that uh, as an artist or anybody coming into a space, you you know, you, there's the conventionalness of like, let's talk about just this art project mm-hmm. or let's do this. And I like how you, uh, when something strikes you as a host, you're like, I'm going to observe this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, this is also the story of the podcast. Yeah, well, thank you. you learning. <laughs> <laughs> it's cool. So t- tell me about your origins. Are you here from Seattle? Like, did you move to Seattle or? I moved to Seattle uh, about 10-ish years ago. Okay. Um, yeah, I was a military brat growing up. Mm. Were you in the military also then? Or? No, no. Mm. I was uh, a lot of my friends that I was going to high school with were going to West Point. I lived right near the military academy. So oh. I had sort of applied, yeah, yeah, you know, had applied to ROTC. But lucky for me, my mm. little artist heart at the last minute was like, I do not think I want to wake up at 6 a.m. every day and go jogging with a bunch of other dudes yeah, and women, you know. So uh, that just didn't pan out for me. No, didn't <laughs> didn't want to join the army. But uh, yeah, then I went to film school oh. in New York. Oh, that's dope. Mm-hmm. So you always wanted to do film then? Yeah, yeah. Okay. That's pretty much since I was like 16, the like you didn't get the first camera, mm-hmm. start making like our own jackass videos. Oh. And then all of a sudden, you know, we're making a terrible feature film for the next three years. Is it, Are these all like findable? Can like you look them up on YouTube? A lot or? of them, no, not since, <laughs> you know, like any artist, right? Once right. I started making things that I, I would say like, that's John Thoreau's movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't want that to be confused with something I made when I was 16, when I was trying to learn how to cut. Right. <laughs> but uh, so a lot of those I still have files of for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, still hold a little place in my heart. Doesn't that add like a little prestige to someone if they actually go to film school versus... Just going through whatever city and just focusing on film like that probably adds to your resume a little bit more versus interesting. I mean, maybe it says more about me that I'm almost envious of folks that do it without the school. Oh, but maybe that's just a me thing of being, you know, thinking of whatever the other person's doing. It's like the grass is greener. Yeah. But so for me, I I have a lot of respect for people who just are like self-taught, who are just like they're visual storytellers. They just picked up a camera. Mm -hmm. Um, I feel like film school is great, but it is, you know, it's a more conventional way to go. Right. Yeah. Graduating school. They're like, what other school do you want? I want the school of the subject I like. Yeah. yeah, You know, so I went that way. And uh I'm definitely a better filmmaker because I went to film school. So mm. for me, it was very effective in teaching me how to tell stories. So how does film school work? Like, are there like, do you can you still like major in psychology or something at film school, or is it <laughs> <Totally>. just like... <laughs> yeah, yeah? I minored in uh, philosophy. Uh, I would actually have a like major film and animation minor in philosophy if I had turned in one last paper, mm. but I didn't. I just decided I didn't care. What? Why yeah. not? I feel I feel like I'd be so OCD about that. You know, I had mono at the time. It oh. was senior year. <laughs> I just remember it was, I just didn't send the email. I even wrote the paper. I just didn't send it. Huh. You know, and I, I have a degree in film and animation, which is what I wanted, but yeah. uh, it's just one of those odd, why, <laughs> why didn't you do that one small task? You could have this other thing on your diploma. Damn. Wait, so with the animation part, what can you do? Like, can you do like, like... Uh... 
cartoons or like claymation or what? what? For sure, yeah, did cartoons, did claim stop motion, stop claymation, motion. Um, for sure. Uh, now on Weird at Night, a Twitch show that I co-produce, we do uh, that sort of comeback mm. where I'm I'm more of a live action filmmaker, but I did do animation in film school. And now that I have this Twitch show, and we had to, we have to find a way to bring characters to life, you know, especially during COVID, yeah, we couldn't get together. So I started animating little cutouts of people and uh, oh. making little cartoons again. That's uh, dope. Yeah, dude, I was, uh, when was it? Yeah, when I was my tour, my my podcast tour, the whole goal, and I, it's weird that I just recently remembered my whole goal, of my tour was to like create a TV show, mm-hmm. and I kind of just put it in the like, kind of put it in the back of my mind and kind of forgot about it, but like. Have you seen um, The Midnight Gospel on Netflix? Oh, yeah. Like, Duncan Trussell, like, that whole, like, oh, that's one of my favorite, like, podcasters and, like, oh, cool. just creators. And um, basically that show is just his dialogue from his podcast put into, like, show for the for the character's dialogue. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to do something like that similar to, but for, like, my podcast, which is more focused on artists. Right. Because he kind of has... He occasionally has artists on, but it's mostly like philosophers or authors or whatever it is, or just like just crazy. He has some crazy. What I people. saw reminded me of like a sort of like a almost like D and D kind of come to life. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah, definitely that sort of there's some subversive deep philosophy going. Yeah, and I wanted to make one like that, but like focused on like art, like hip hop or whatever type of art medium. But then like I want everyone, I would want everyone to look crazy like in that show like adventure mm, time style or like yeah. maybe like if if you're picking i feel like if i, if I just this put this the all beauty on... of collab yeah i know <laughs> yeah. as you're saying this i'm like i mean i know people who make cartoons this yeah. isn't too far away from you you know there's yeah. definitely a lot of animators out there who, uh and then it comes down to kind of just cutting the audio in an interesting uh yeah a way where the conversations kind of come together but I like, it's like space goes coast to coast kind of makes me think of oh that. yeah 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 Dude, what happened to like Wallace and Gromit and those type of shows? You don't even see those. Right? I guess Robot Chicken. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's true. I love Robot Chicken mm-hmm. with a passion. That's one of my favorites. It's like, a, yeah, that's a that's a good point. Yeah, and there is a, um, gosh, I'm trying to remember, William Gregory. I hope I'm getting that right. Mm. It's kind of like a two first names name. I think it's William Gregory. Mm. Um trying to remember his website and I can't right now but he's a puppet in a, a puppeteer in Tacoma who also makes like music and tons of art and stop motion oh. um, I'll sh- I'll definitely look up and share with you uh, his stuff but yeah it's, I, I think... want to have a puppeteer on the podcast that sounds crazy yes you, you, William Gregory would be so good to have on the podcast I hope I'm getting his name right. I hope he talks through the puppet. Like, he just brings a puppet and talks the entire time. It's actually, uh, so not only puppets, which are, like, weird, almost like a post-apocalyptic, there's a sort of a more, like, uh, Invader Zim quality okay, to them yeah, than yeah. Sesame Street, if that makes sense. Yeah. And then I, he has skaters. So he has a skater show of stop-motion claymation. Ooh. And they do tricks and all this crazy oh, wow. stuff. Yeah, it's really cool. We've had him on Weird at Night. Uh, so, yeah, definitely check out. Um, wow. Gosh, I hope I'm getting his name right. William Gregory. I'll get the info to you. I could literally see how this would work, too. Like, they would be sitting in that chair, and then their arm would be stretched across so they could have the puppet. (laughs) (laughs) I've always wanted to throw my voice. Yeah. Puppets are one of the best, like, most psychedelic things to me. Mm hmm. You bring me a like a sort of adult puppet show, I'm in. They're creepy a little um, bit, right? Too? They're definitely creepy. But I guess that's the thrill. I take a puppet over a clown. Oh, I hate clowns. Yeah. 
Well, I don't want I never think I hate clowns yeah. till they're like close to me being clowns. Then I'm like, this is pretty terrifying. Yeah. Like a couple years ago, what was that thing where there was like a lot of clown sightings with like people, they're like holding knives and stuff in like neighborhoods. Do you remember that? Oh, no, I do not. It sounds like a uh, maybe misguided performance art piece. It was like like five years ago. There was just like all these clown sightings that were like making the news and they're just, I don't know if anyone ever actually got hurt. Maybe. Like they were trying to make their own it happen. Yeah. And it was like in different cities and stuff. It was creepiness. Weird. I never saw one personally, but yeah. So tell me about this weird at night Twitch channel you got going on. Yeah, we uh, it started up. Patrick Galactic started it up during the pandemic. Um, just thinking like there needs to be sort of more silliness. Wait, first, who is internet. Patrick Galactic? Uh, Patrick Galactic's a musician. Um, pretty well known in the Seattle music scene. Um, had a band, Death by Stars, before going solo. Mm. Um, I met Pat in Death by Stars, working for Cat Pack Records um, at the time, and so I started making, directing their music videos and mm-hmm. working with them. And so me and Patrick are longtime AV collaborators. He comes out with a new song and make a music video to it. Yeah. And uh, I did this show. Um, I did. I was doing live movie remixes for about a year. Every month, I'd pull like bands and a DJ together, and we'd re- we remixed like Brazil, Foxy Brown with Barracks mm. and Audra Boo doing a new soundtrack while I remixed it live. That's so cool. What the heck? Yeah. I actually I brought you. Ooh. I wanted to bring some art to share. Hell yeah, I'm an art guy. Well, I try to be. So uh, I brought you a poster from that show. Ooh, I feel like I'm on like Nardwar now. And uh, part of the reason I brought that is- Look at this, guys. During my, after COVID- That's so cool. I stopped doing this, but I used to collect a poster from every show I did live visuals at. Really? So I've got like 200 posters here. Oh my gosh. And- one of the cool ones from that Foxy Brown show, you got Audra Boo and uh, Matt, the lead guitarist from Bear Axe. Whoa. And myself. That's dope. <laughs> that signed the movie poster. But uh, yeah, I know you do a free freestyle at the end, and I was like, I'm bad at coming up with words on the fly. Mm-hmm. I better bring some visual aids. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and, yeah, yeah. Uh, like to share art. So in the spirit of Weird at Night, I wanted to come share some of this art so we can get into that if we want to. But uh, yeah. Uh, I did doing on the re- movie remix thing. COVID happens, mm-hmm. so we're gonna remix 2001: A Space Odyssey oh. next. It'll be 2020: Space Odyssey. That'd be crazy. And Select Level and Gems, we're gonna redo the soundtrack live. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're incredible bands. And uh, so when we couldn't do it, we had to do it on the internet. Mm-hmm. And so we, I sort of just created a sort of live stream, and we did a live stream. And when Pat saw it, I think they had that sort of little light bulb went off, mm-hmm. like. We need more of this. It was just weirdness for an hour, mm-hmm. unexplained, right? So people would come in and be like, what's happening? It's like, no explanation, just you in or you out, yeah, yeah, <laughs> you yeah. know? And if you stay in long enough, you'd be like, oh, is this 2001? Oh, are they movie remixing it? Is oh. this different music, you know? So Weird at Night was started based on that sort of Dada surrealism, uh, late night cable access um, television uh, concept of like, you just flip the channel on and it's just something weird. It's mm-hmm. a puppet show. Right, and they're saying the F word. You're like, what? <laughs> that kind of thing. That's what Weird at Night is. That that was the genesis of the idea. So you actually like throw like actual movie clips on. Mm-hmm. Okay, and I guess you could do that because, um, like, you Twitch. A lot of people play video games on Twitch, and I don't feel like they have the rights to that video exactly. game. So I guess that makes sense. Yeah, on Twitch, I can do the movie remixes in live stream form on Twitch. I obviously mm. can't uh, 
do it on Facebook or YouTube right. or when I have, you know, they get taken down immediately, which yeah. is fu- is fair. You know, it's a uh, for me as a VJ, it's like I don't want to own anything that Disney owns. Right. Mm-hmm. I just wanted to fuck with it for a night. What's so a VJ? If they want to take it down, that's fine. A uh, video jockey. Oh, it's like a DJ, but for videos. Mm-hmm. And is this like a thing you made up or is this like a thing? This is a huge thing. Yeah, it's a worldwide profession. Yeah, what? like if you go, you know, Capitol Hill Block Party, bus, Lollapalooza, like who's lighting up that stage oh. with all the projections? That's the VJ. And, if, you know, on their contract, VJ. Oh. Yeah. But that's, huh. I yeah. never even knew that. That's so, crazy. and then that's like, then like that's, there's a lighting tech and a VJ. Right, that's the okay. person, and sometimes that can be one and the same. Like I like to use projectors as lighting, and do a little bit of both, doing the remixing of the the movies, the mm-hmm. things that you can like see, but then also just using abstract light. All right. Um, How expensive yeah. was that to get two projectors? Oh, I'm not that expensive. I luckily know other visual artists, so there's uh, a lot of like, hey, I'm not using this one anymore. It just needs a new light bulb. So oh. for me, I think. I probably had my first two projectors for like $600 or less. Wow. Yeah. But these aren't, you know, 10,000 lumen projectors. Yeah. Like I just got to VJ at the Crocodile and they have a brand new like 10,000 lumen projector. I just projected on the black curtains and it showed up amazing, you oh. know? So, uh, yeah. So, you know, mine are like 3,500 lumen yeah. projectors. They're kind of like any uh, office projector that someone can get. And I think just from years of experience i've just learned how to use them mm-hmm. you know get a little closer to the screens or kind of be clever in venues with how to get more out of it wow this is like a total new world for me like i like you know artists probably like geek out about like the audio software and like uh like for me i geek out about like the different mics there are for podcasts anything like that so and you're <laughs> geeking out about the lumen. Exactly. <laughs> exactly right. Yeah. And there are a lot that's the cool thing about it too, is there are a lot of similarities with musicians. Mm-hmm. I always tell any musician who like wants to turn the knobs for me at a rave or you know, mm-hmm. like if they're near me in the projection booth and they're like, I can never do that. It's like you'd be great. Because mm. it's the same rules, right? With light and with music in that in that space, yeah, uh, yeah. It's sort of there's there's a give and take. There's a stop and go. You take it away, you give it back again. Yeah, you know, you get really really bright, but then yeah, yeah, you yeah. close it down to a contrast dim. It's just like in in you would do in a musical song. So most musicians I find could be great VJs, mm. and uh, most VJs are just you know lovers of movies and music. So it's like let me just how can I get as close to the creative process as possible? Mm-hmm. You yeah. know. That makes sense. I'd love to get more into your process, but I feel I want to. I still want to learn more about you ending up here in Seattle. So you went to film school, and then how'd you end up here? I was doing stand up at <gasps> the end of my film school time. Wow! Uh, so that took me to New York City, and so I was doing like you know just trying to get up every night, doing a couple open mics, you know, from like Comedy Cellar to like under a library at three in the morning. All mm-hmm. the things you hear about New York stand up. Um, and then I, one night, a fellow comedian had said to me, you know, there are 17,000 other comedians in New York City. <laughs> and it just blew, it, like, it, it just took the, like, wall of whatever little confidence I was building. And mm. it just, like, you know, I just, it suddenly made me feel like I'm not needed, mm. you know? Um and I don't know, you know, I love doing stand-up and I, I definitely love being funny and I think I have, like, maybe original things to say, you know, that through visual art and being a VJ now, I definitely express in through that. Right. Um, but that just made me feel like I'm not needed in New York City. Mm. And I feel like I want to go somewhere smaller, 
that's still uh, a metropolis, but that like maybe I can add something to that art scene. I'm not just another one of a thousand other people in this same box trying mm. to blast through. Um, so I was gonna go to Phoenix for literally no reason, and I visited. Uh, well, I was doing. I was skydiving at the time, and I thought, what "The I'd heck, do. that's yeah. dope." <laughs> I had skydived a couple times, and so it was my pipe dream to be like, "I'll do be a skydiving instructor and a comedian <laughs> in Phoenix." <laughs> that was the plan. But first, I visited uh, my friend TC here in Seattle, and then I just kind of felt like you're from a lot of transplants. Like, kind of mm. fell in love with it. I was here for like five days. Is that a trans joke? But no, I'm, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, but he, uh, yeah, just like after five days, I was just I fell in love with it. I like the the atmosphere. It's a little more muted friendliness than mm. New York can be sometimes. What do you mean by muted friendliness? Uh, like I think sometimes what people call the freeze. Yeah, it's yeah. like I kind of like like. <laughs> Stay away I'll, from me. I'll open up when I'm ready. Right. You know, I don't I don't necessarily owe anybody everything uh. that I have. And I, I can be very, very friendly and outgoing, but I don't always want to be. Mm. And so I can fall. I sometimes I think Seattle fits for me in that way where, like, even though I'm really outgoing, I'm also very anxious. Mm. So I'm not, you know, I can give a lot. I'm not sure how much I can take of all this social energy sometimes. So sometimes I like that sort of mutedness in Seattle where someone can be like, yeah, we talked about the weather. We'll never see each other again. <laughs> I'm all good with that. Yeah. I'm like, cool. <laughs> I was, a couple of months ago, I was trying to like do this new thing where I, anytime I pass someone on the street, I wanted to be like, hi, hello, give them a wave or whatever. And it failed miserably. Like I really oh. thought, I was like, you know what, this is going to add an extra element to my day because like usually there's not parking right out front at the studio. So I had to park a few blocks away. And during that time, I probably passed at least five people, you know, walking. I'm like, I'm going to just try to say hi to people around here. And it's just like people would just be offended. I'm like, what? <laughs> and I was like, okay. Yeah, so, even when you said the idea to me, I was like, oh. Yeah. I used to kind of, I, I have a sort of life philosophy that's like attack with love. Mm -hmm. is sort of my thing, right? Like take the compassionate action. And like you, that's choice. Yeah. You know, whether it's to yourself, whether it's a thought, whether you're saying something, whether you're doing something. And so at times my philosophy has come to me in ways like you, where I was like, I'm going to look at everyone in the eye yeah. and I'm going to smile. And I've had the same experience as you where it, you don't necessarily get that reflexive feel good energy you're looking for. It can feel sometimes like you just drained yourself. Yeah. And people are like, why are you smiling at me? Yeah. And then I feel like I'm ashamed. I'm like, why did I just do that? I'm so sorry. <laughs> That's where I turn inwards. I say, like, well, I'm going to attack myself with love here, and I'm just also going to be in my own world. Yeah. You know? <laughs> you, you, you're walking towards someone, you're smiling, and then you slowly turn your head down, start looking at the ground. Back to the zone. Yeah. Like, even I'll even try to be like, oh, my gosh, your dog's cute, even if it's not cute. And they'll be like, what did you just say to me? I'm like, oh, okay. There you go. Yeah, fellow human beings just trying to be a nice neighbor here. Yeah. It's a tough life out there being friendly. Yeah. It's I'd, not always all welcome. I didn't even like your dog. I was just trying to be nice. <laughs> <laughs> so what was what was your first experience um, in the Seattle music scene then once you moved here? Seattle music scene was uh, house parties. Okay. You know, got got a day job working at Pagliacci's, and mm -hmm. I met a couple of musicians who were throwing a party, uh, Maddie Levine and Eric Sanchez, uh, who I'm still friends with, and they... Uh, they were doing this thing called Cat Pack Records, okay. little red cat, just sort of DIY. Is it still around? Uh, no, no. We're all still making art, but mm -hmm. uh, we just kind of like outgrew the project. Yeah. You know? I think like any group of artists who start to be like, we're going to start a record label, 
we wanted to make the art. Yeah, you learn we don't quick. do all the administrative work. <laughs> <laughs> so we never, you know, we never met those like four or five collaborators we would have needed to do all that other stuff that isn't just making art. Mm. Um, so yeah, it, like Cat Pack was very successful, but we also never became a very successful record label, right? We just made a lot of art, and everyone we worked with seemed to do well. Got um, it. But yeah, so I was I was their bartender. I was just oh. like, I'm friendly. I'm trying to be a comedian. Wait, so you've been a bartender. You, what the? You've had. I've done literally every little small job. Uh, a lot of them. Yeah. Wow. Uh, no. I mean, I always thought, ever since I was a little kid, honestly, like, be as many people as you can be before you die. Wow. You know, you get one. So. I, and I'm also like into Zen, so it kind of goes with that sort of like I don't like to like sort of try to hold on to one version of myself or something. I'm like, let the new one come. Mm. That's cool. Let's change. Let's let's do it. Let's and this see. isn't you getting fired. This is you just being like, hey, or is it a mixture? Oh, sometimes. Yeah, <laughs> that's a good point. Honestly, I've only been a. Gosh, have I ever been? I've usually only been fired when I'm trying to get fired. When I like, you know, need to go work on an art project, and they're like, "No, you can't have the two weeks off." And then I'm like, "Well, we're gonna have to expedite that." Ah. So I've had a couple of those, you know, make a speech to the customers at the day job. I used to work at a Red Robin, and I Mm -hmm. before I moved out here, and same situation, you know, like I was have my two weeks, but I had to leave within ten days instead of fourteen days. Yeah. And they started giving me shit about it, so I just took my shirt off in the middle of the restaurant. You had and no just other... went to my table and said, like, look, don't leave a tip. It won't be going to me. Like, Wait. I'm clearly quitting right now. You can see my nipples and everything. Oh, my God. And they were like, oh, they even, like, tipped me. They were like, oh, that's exciting. Where are you going? I was like, Seattle. And the was like, oh you know what this means? You're fired. I'm like, thank you very much, sir. But here's the kicker with that story, because this, I think, really says something about <laughs> restaurant work. Yeah. I go out into the parking lot. You know, we're all celebrating. You quit. You took your shirt off. You don't give a fuck. <laughs> and I'm, I'm, we're smoking weed. And uh, the manager comes back out and is like, John, well, that was really dramatic. Is there any way you can come in for a shift tonight? We're shorthanded. Uh... <laughs> no, man, you just fired me. Uh, that's funny. But so restaurant work, right? Yeah. Like the person who just... Got themselves fired. You're like, but can you just one more half shift? Just a little more work. Ah, uh, that's craziness. Dang. But yeah, so I was their bartender. Um, and while I was working at Pagliacci's and being their friend, and so I got to see the bands and meet all these different artists. And then, of course, it was only a matter of time before it's like, what, you went to film school? You know mm. how to use a camera? We need a music video. Mm. And then, so that's kind of how I started with uh, the video and the art scene is making music videos for bands. Dang. I hear I always hear about these like house parties and stuff. And I've never been to one. It's also COVID, I guess. But like, I oh, hear a yeah, lot of artists met start... each other through like house shows and stuff. Mm-hmm. I've been to a house party, I guess, but that's not a house show. You know, have you been to a, you've been to house? I've been shows? to house shows. Yeah, where yeah. the the house is the venue. Yeah, dang, and they're that trying to represent cool. it that way. It is pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, at a certain point, uh, there's this great. Uh, art walk down in uh, Tacoma that they used to do down near UPS where mm. it was like, yeah, just houses turned into venues. What? It was like one night a year and it was just like a crazy party. You'd go to every house, see all this music, and then it ends in a rave. What? Mm-hmm. Uh, is it COVID or is it just people are... I think COVID stopped a lot of that. Yeah. Um, Dang. And I think it's also like depends on what, you know, which artists you're following. I think a lot of that goes back to like college, a little more closer to UW. Like UPS, you know, so I relate that a little more closer to college where people are more 
ambitious to be like, no, we're just going to turn our basement into a venue. Yeah. Um, not that any sort of academic yeah, college yeah. going needs to happen for that, but it, they seem to happen near college towns. Yeah, I was making fun of Action Ass because I was like, they're like in their 30s. I was like, is it acceptable for you guys to go to house shows anymore? And they're like, you know, you kind of... You kind of have to decide for yourself. Kind of hit a sensitive nerve there. <laughs> you know, it is funny, though, that does come to mind sometimes. I mean, I'm 34 and, you know, done a lot of shows, a lot of different experiences, you know. And so I have, I've had that a couple of times where someone wants to work with me and it's a house show. And I kind of have. Are your know. parents home? <laughs> well, and in my, yeah, and in my head, I'm kind of like, well, you just, John, you just did the Kirkland Performance Center. Like, yeah, should, you know, there are like 5,000 people there. Where, like, you should probably... <laughs> like not do like a house for 10 people or something but I also yeah. like love art and I love doing it so yeah it really just depends on if the art's going to be good and if I think that it'll be safe mm. that's the main thing with being an artist going yeah. to a house party yeah is the gear safe yeah a hundred percent is the gear safe is the money on point and yeah. fine no problem yeah so you started your music videos and shows how did you get into this blazing space light stuff uh, that was uh, actually I had the poster for the first show. Oh. Crown Hill Repeater, the Spider Ferns. I've never heard of those guys. Yeah, the Spider Ferns are uh, still releasing music. They're badass. They uh, what happened to Crown common Work? collaborators with me. Yeah, so my first VJing experience was at Cremework in that basement. This was when it was pretty new. It was 2014. Whoa. Um, so I drew, I made a music video for an electronic music artist who's going by WMD, but now they go as uh, Ivy. Okay. Um, and uh, they make really dope music, I-V-V-Y. But um, I made their music video, and then we thought, it would be cool if like the final edit of this was made live. Like mm. if I literally made the cuts live, and then that was the music video that would live on. Oh. And so that's what we did. I recorded my VJ performance, and then that became the video. Wow. And then just like you were just learning about VJing, that's what happened to me where I was like thought, oh, I just did something new. Mm -hmm. Ooh, I just kind of invented something. You know, I started to get that like big-headedness. <laughs> of, like, I made a music video, but I did it live. Yeah, I'm yeah, such yeah. a badass. And then I you know, did a little research and immediately realized I'm this tiny little fish in this huge <laughs> ocean of the world. And VJing is this you know huge art form it's huge in Poland and mm. uh you know in the Czech Republic like it's it's a well-known art form to take images and mishmash them mm -hmm. and to be the person at the dance club doing that part mm. and so that you know really opened up my ambitions to the possibilities of VJing where uh, I started to appreciate just a blinking red light when yeah. before I might have been like, oh, it's just a blinking red light. Look what I can do with a movie, right? Yeah. And I started to see the connection between, yeah, but the blinking red light at the right time, that's the art of a good VJ. So do you know, like, the, are there, like, top VJs in the world? Oh, Do you absolutely. know them? Like, know their names or at least? Or um, I mean, there are definitely people that I'm, like, I'm fans of. I keep it more local with mm. who I, like, keep to my mind. I've definitely watched, uh, you know, podcasts with world-famous VJs on them. and. Oh, People who've done like a Montobin show and people who do Flying Lotus concerts, okay, yeah, you know, yeah, where yeah. it's like a 3D box that falls oh, apart on the stage. Oh, yeah, that's wild. So there's a lot of amazing VJing mm. to, uh, out there. And they're definitely world famous VJs. Uh, I think the more, you know, as I'm sure you're familiar, I mean, I, like, I love dance music, but I don't necessarily love like EDM culture. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of similar with VJing. So I think like the mo the world famous VJs are usually not my style. Mm. Um, 
But don't you look like, for me at least, like, if you're trying, I don't actually know what your overall goal of VJing is or if you're happy where you are, but for me, I feel like I, I always have to, I watch, not only am I like a fan of like these other podcasts, but I look at them to be like, they're also kind of competition. I could, I should see what they're doing to see how I can grow with my own podcast. You know? Oh, 100%. And yeah, no, I definitely, that's why mm. I would be watching that interview. It's just yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Uh, and I've, I've met some VJs recently who did that circuit, who sort of like did like Lollapaloozas around the oh. world. And <clears throat> they it wasn't creatively rewarding for them. Because they were just doing, you know, kind of standard, like, keep the lines moving, uh, like, make it trippy, right? And so they were telling me that, like, they see what I do is, like, something more organic because it's, like, I'm talking to the artist. We're song by song. I'm thinking, mm. like, of these themes. How can we change the room to make us feel like that? Where when you're dealing with, like, a Lollapalooza stage, sometimes you're just like, yeah, just keep the visuals trippy to match, uh. you know, to make it feel like a big deal. That's not always, like, super artistically rewarding. Um so yeah, there's kind of like a lot of different ways of VJing, but uh, especially in like dance music and rave culture, mm -hmm. like just like they're famous DJs. Yeah, they're absolutely like world class VJs who just wait. So a laser show, them. a laser show is a VJ too, or no? Could be. Yeah, I'd say like if if a laser artist also mixed and matched with like form some sort of formative energy imagery something that you could like sort of project on a canvas okay for sure i mean that's, there's a big crossover a lot of vjs fuck with lasers that mm. might be a better way to put it yeah so tell, tell me what are like what are the steps of being like a doing like a live show as a vj so you use like canvas and projectors like what are the, all the tools and everything you need to sure do a i successful mean probably starts with show. a program nowadays i mean but you know like i was saying it's not like a new thing like right. a Pink Floyd, right? Like they have these slide projectors that were just doing the liquid light visuals. Mm. So we're all in the same tra tra like tradition of that. So now instead of me using like an analog device, like I'm literally using ink blots, I'm using a laptop mm. and I'm playing videos, right? So I could just play ink blot videos or I could play anything, which is the cool thing to me of using a computer. Mm -hmm. So I use the program Resolume. Mm, what's that's um, not like? Is it like Adobe Premiere or no? Resolume is more like Ableton. It's oh. more like Ableton for visuals. So it's all integrated to f literally for the specific task of VJing to music. Oh, So you can shoot. set a BPM. You can have audio input channels that are changing what the visuals are doing based Whoa. on the BPMs. Um, yeah, and you can create visuals in that program. I usually use it to bring my own animations and clips in, mm -hmm. and then I have it synced up to, uh, I have it mapped to an APC40 machine, mm -hmm. and then that kind of is, makes me able to play the visuals more like an instrument, where I can trigger clips by hitting buttons, I can <laughs> do effects by turning knobs. And so I think that's, the art is sort of just, just like being an electronic musician, you're just trying to get all of these disparate computing things to feel more organic and like art you can just do. You can just feel it and you can just, I want more of that. I want Dang. more of that. Do you think like when you're in film school, were there, were there any classes you could have done to learn more about this? <laughs> you know, I mean, uh, I definitely did some projectioning, okay. you know, being like in the projection booth in film school. I mean, I you know, I took experimental film. Mm. And so I definitely uh, watched films that were just blobs of color dancing around and was learning about like that kind of filmmaking and oh. had to question, like, is this legitimate to me? Right. You know, like, is this a story? The story of the blue dot? <laughs> You know, and I think at the time as a live action filmmaker, I thought, no, I think mm. this is kind of silly, uh, you know, and now, you know, like 14 years later as like a professional VJ, it's like, yeah, of course that is a film, a story about the blue dot. 
Because it's moving. You're watching it. You're feeling something. Mm. So, uh, yeah. So I think uh, there's a lot of things I saw in film school that I VJ with today. Mm-hmm. Like I was introduced to like Metropolis, right, right, right. The, the the cabinet of Dr. Caligari, A Trip to the Moon, George Melies, all these famous films that are now in the public domain that are out of copyright that I can VJ uh, with freely, especially if I'm doing a a show that it has to be copyright free content. Then uh, I can. Uh, what makes a show? Mm-hmm. What would make a show have to be like copyright free? Uh, if it was a live stream. Oh, okay. You know, with a bigger artist, they just don't want to deal with that you know mm-hmm. like uh i work with scaric a lot uh with loudswell.com during the yeah. pandemic and scaric's like a pretty famous saxophonist um there's a lot of amazing projects and so that's a situation where like it's not helpful to either of us to have a clip from star wars playing behind him mm. while he's playing the saxophone you know it kind of also just drags your head over to this other thing to think about right. um so in that and i usually wouldn't i don't really vj with star wars anyway but just as an obvious example right. of something that could be Someone could say, that's mine. Right. So you don't do modern movies usually? I do. Like with the movie remixes, we did Tron and we also okay. did Tron Legacy. Okay. So we mixed the films together. But like we talked about, we did that on Twitch. Right, right. Can't do that on the Facebook or the YouTube. But like, have you ever done like Avengers on Twitch or uh, something? <laughs> the closest I've go- I have used the Avengers in visuals for the big building podcast, I was doing their visuals during the pandemic and mm-hmm. we had a lot of like really cool light shows. And one of them uh, was with Cool Nuts, the rapper. And uh, I used some stuff from Black Panther and from Endgame that Black Panther was in, in ah. those visuals. Um, so I have tapped into the superhero movies. Also, there's a, a scene from Batman Returns that I use a lot okay. that I'm sure people who are Blazing Space fans or have seen a few of my shows will be like, oh, yeah, that Michelle Pfeiffer Dang. clip. They, they love that <laughs> clip. <laughs> it finds its way out, you know, in, in a good guitar solo or something like that. So with what you do, you probably have to make most of your fans through, like, actual, like, live events. You have the Twitch channel now, but, like, mm-hmm. that's how you gain recognition. It's not like you're just posting stuff online or how would that for work sure for and weird at night is like not for blazing space got it like got it. i'm i help because i make a lot of like i can make a lot of trippy visuals mm-hmm. and i can make a lot of weird video content but weird at night is about all the artists that share art on weird at night just got not, it. not just me okay but of course it helps to be on weird at night um but uh yeah through live shows for sure dang so how many let's say even i guess it there's a lot of live shows during the pandemic right now, so I guess it, maybe it's not that much different, but like, how many shows do you think you do like a month? And has it changed during the pandemic? Oh, absolutely changed oh, okay. during the pandemic. Yeah, I mean, before I would do like three or four gigs a weekend at Whoa. times. You know, I remember one time doing uh, Upstream Music Festival, and then I did another band in somewhere at a warehouse in Soto, mm-hmm. and then I got to Lo-Fi, and I VJ'd for someone else. I did three in one night. Dang. And so... Uh, you drink Red Bull? <laughs> definitely. <laughs> definitely drinking Red Bull. Um, so, yeah, I mean, and I mean, I've definitely done over like 200 shows now. I, I stopped counting once I was near 200, and that was around 2018. Oh. So, uh, yeah, so I mean, a month I would easily have like between four and eight shows every month. Dang. Then the pandemic hit, nothing. Mm-hmm. And then uh, live streams kind of is what brought me back into being able to do live projections. The big building um, record label, they were doing a podcast called Grounded. And so I started doing visuals for them. And so that kind of kept me kept me kicking around during the pandemic. Mm. Um, and now, uh, I mean, I only did one show in January. 
you know, Omicron was kind of crazy, yeah. so I wasn't looking to. Wait, did you do Freak Out Fest or no? I I don't think so. I don't, I don't think I've done a Freak Out Fest. Not definitely not this year or last oh, year. Oh, are there multiple? So there's multiple VJs in Seattle. Oh, what? for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Oh. Uh, uh, there's the person who does uh, Freak Out Festival. I think they're called the Mad Alchemist or Liquid Light Lab. Um, they're incredible. I mean, that like world class liquid light wizard uh, is an artist that I work with often, um, and they do the same. They do liquid lights. Um, you should check out Lucio, uh, which mm. is like a community of light artists and VJs in Seattle. Um, so they're right There's now. There's a whole community. What the heck? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like any. T- it's cool, There's right? So many different communities. You they just, just pull o- yeah. down, open the carpet, and they're all these artists. Uh, wow. But yeah, so like on First Ave right now, there are all these little projection pieces and storefronts downtown in Seattle, and that's Lucio. Like Molly Bryan, Lucia, she cultivated that. So that's like a different artist in every star storefront is a different light artist what in Seattle. Heck? Yeah. So this is, there's tons of light artists in Seattle. Blackwater Stars, someone I work with who's incredible. Um, yeah. This, the... So do you think Seattle supports the art community well then? or <laughs> Not necessarily. I mean, I think different. I think Seattle, God, Seattle loves to be known for it. They love to. <laughs> Everybody who lives in Seattle it's easy for me to say this, but it seems like people who live in Seattle who don't support the art scene are quick to say that we're so great at it. Mm. Uh, so, uh, you know, you're an active and helpful part of the art scene. Yeah. I feel like I am. I know Patrick is from doing Weird at Night, you know, from like we've been working with Converge a lot with Weird at Night and like they do incredible work for artists. T-Dub just started a new show for them and there's grants you know, like mm. even during the pandemic, I got a grant <clears throat> from Northwest Film Forum that helped me through a couple tough months. So there's more money and opportunity for artists in Seattle than in other American cities. Right. I don't think that it's great. I think that it's like the bare minimum of being able to say we care about the arts. I don't feel like uh, there was a concern for people going hungry per se, during the pandemic. I think people were quicker to be like, oh, no, what will happen to Numos? Or, oh, no, what will happen to this place? Right. What about the people who that need make Numos money <laughs> and lunch? Yeah. You know, that's just money uh, uh. that has to go to their pockets. So I think Seattle is, like, like I said, better than other American cities. I'm proud to be, like, living here and be an artist in Seattle. Um, and so I know a ton of artists in Seattle who are – incredibly giving to the art scene here so i would feel bereft to say that we don't have a great and giving art scene here because we do um so what about this like i think for hip i'm just gonna say hip-hop for mm -hmm. example like it's easier for a hip-hop artist to perform at numos if they go out of their way to reach out to an artist that's about to tour to seattle and then reach out to that booking manager and be like hey can i open for you versus going to numos or whatever venue right Mm -hmm. so what about for like art like, do you think some, like, out-of-town artists would have an easier time getting, like, an art installation somewhere versus someone from Seattle? I think in in the same way you described, there in a lot of different disciplines, it's probably the same. Hmm. I think if, as far as, like, light art goes, uh, there's a – I mean, you know, like like I was bringing up Lucio, I do feel like there are a lot of opportunities for light artists mm-hmm. um, where people look locally. Right. before looking elsewhere. Um, but I totally hear what you're saying of like, uh, I used to, as a filmmaker, I feel that way. It's way easier for a filmmaker from LA to get money to make a movie in Seattle 
than right. for a, a filmmaker in Seattle to get money to make a movie in Seattle. So there, it, it's interesting. The city, the city, it's weird. I feel weird saying the city because it's like who the specific are we talking about right mm. easy for me to project that onto somebody yeah. but I do get this vibe of like we don't treat our own superstars like superstars mm-hmm. we treat them like like even uh, you know getting references like local VJ it's like mm. like that that putting local almost or like this is a local artist is like yeah I mean they live here but right. that's like a way of saying like they're not national you're not calling it's like what's not national local. about it <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> You know, I just worked with Walking Papers. They're from here, but people are in like local Seattle band Walking Papers because they're like a kind of big deal mm. elsewhere. Interesting. So yeah, and I mean, we definitely do that with Weird at Night. You know, like the queen of everything, the rapper here is like the god of our fictional universe. Like mm. the queen is more powerful than anyone, and we treat them like you know we bring them up every episode. You know, all hail the queen, and I think it's important for all our outlets to pick artists to do that too to just like they are celebrities they are superstars they are prolific you know someone like terry monstrosity is like an a hip-hop artist in seattle who's like puts out like a like a verse every day there was during the pandemic he released like four albums mm. um so that's somebody who should be like held up and celebrated but i think is often said like that local artist so what do you do then like if you're you're working with local artists right but how do you how do you get recognition like outside of Seattle then? Because if local artists don't even know how to get recognition outside of Seattle, you might be able to get jobs doing their shows. But like, how, what do you do outside of that? Like, how do you get outside of like just local shows? I think then collaboration for sure. Like I was mm-hmm. working with a uh, coffee cup productions out of Chicago, and mm-hmm. so I was getting to do visual loops for like any shows they had in that theater. So if they had like a Talking Heads cover band, I would make them like an hour loop of Talking Heads material and they would like pay me for that. Mm. Um, So I think it's just connections and collaboration and then it it definitely takes that little extra step of of putting yourself out there. Yeah, you gotta, see that's the Um, thing, that's kind of what's tiring though. You you have to be the one like actively doing it versus people being like, hey, let me give you, for me at least. Oh no, I I get that. I definitely feel that resistance in myself, uh, you know, like I gotta make the art and show and explain why you need to care. And uh, there's a lot of steps to it. I think for me, I end up trying to just think like, just boil it down to making the thing. Mm. You know, like if you collaborate with somebody from someone else who has a connection to communities you might wanna reach or other fans or other people you wanna show your work, collaborate with them that's the best thing you could do so that's kind of what i try to do anyway like Mm -hmm. with uh walking papers you just get like i had a friend who knew them and who said they were looking for a projectionist and i just had this feeling of like well they might be thinking of me but i should probably like think of what i would do and like present it to them right and nobody said like this is what you need to do to get this gig Mm -hmm. right but then like i just took that extra step and they're like well that sounds great Let's yeah, do yeah. that. Yeah, you yeah. know, so I think it does take like putting yourself out there as a Seattle artist if you want to get recognized somewhere else. Um, and I mean, other I think around the country, people think Seattle's cool. Yeah, it seems like they do. Yeah, <laughs> when I when I talk to other people from around the country, so yeah, I, I, I agree. I'm not. I think there should be more national outlets looking to Seattle to pick artists from here. I mean, Shana Shepard would be an example of somebody who popped recently. Yeah, it's a weird time. But I think uh, I think um, people are t- taking the right steps as of lately. You know, 
Who knows? People are trying to be better. It's good. I mean, it raises like a higher tide rises all boats, right? Yeah. So if if everybody's saying like we need to be better about artists and we need to uplift other artists, even if half of those people are full of shit, <laughs> it does raise an expectation. Yeah, I agree. So with you being like an artist, like I feel like when I first started the podcast, I feel like I started using artists as like just any like it could be music, whatever. I feel like you're like a genuine like when people think of an artist, like you're an artist. Right. So, like, do, do you want, like, your work in museums at all? Or, like, how would that? Sure. Like, an I think that's not or? something I thought I could want. Really? In a way. Uh, or not an arena I thought would be available to me as, like, a filmmaker. It's like, well, you're trying to get, you know, you want to be eventually showing in the Regal or an AMC, right? Or mm-hmm. something like that. Um, but now, having, having been a VJ and create visual installations. Yeah. And I know artists who are installing like my friend Preston Singletary is like a world famous glass blowing artist mm. and he has this amazing band Kuwik. Um and so seeing him have his work put in a museum it sort of like shows me like yeah right you're an artist you make something and just like any gig it, it's just a gig yeah. if the museum says like wow like I built a light box with uh, this artist Tondui uh, who makes amazing electronic music in Seattle and uh, it's just like a it's a box and then I mapped it from the inside so it's like glowing and it's like the idea is that it's almost like a monolith that's oh. changing locations yeah. and you can see into this other dimension and so we just started popping it up like we, we took it to this rave and then Somebody was like, oh, well, we're having an event. We need art installations. So we just applied ours. And they're like, great, we'd love a light-up box that does that. <laughs> and so in the same way, now I can see that pathway to actually having my art in a museum. Would be would just be the museum, just like Sam with the infinity rooms or anything like yeah. that, saying, this is an experience. Ooh. Do you, We would love to pay for your experience to live here for a few months. Dang. And I'm I would be totally down for that. You know, it'd be another gig. Yeah. Do you have anything like that that you're like? Do you have like a like a ma- like a masterpiece you're trying to work on, or do you focus more on shows, or do you have like an installation that you like? You've been thinking about it for like years or anything anything like that. Uh, definitely yes. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> like as you started to say, I was like, not that I'm ready to talk about Blake. <laughs> um, no, I've been thinking. I you know, as a filmmaker, I'm always writing scripts and stuff. Mm-hmm. So there's always the director mind in me is never satisfied without that mm-hmm. being able to do one of those art projects. So uh, to talk vaguely about it recently, I've been thinking more and more about pulling all of these different collaborative elements that I'm attached to together. Yeah. I know incredible electronic musicians. I know incredible actors. I know incredible dancers and drag artists and makeup artists. And I work with all these incredible bands and I know lighting designers with great equipment and uh, I think there's something specific that can happen with all these people together, mm-hmm. whether it's a film, whether it's a virtual reality experience, whether it's a film that's partially a virtual reality experience right. where half of the film you go into VR mm. and then you come back out and the, maybe we've changed the lights in the set. Oh, shit. Yeah, dude, that would be, that'd be crazy. <laughs> yeah. So oh there's my... definitely that, you know, I'm almost always working on a project, but there's some wow. sort of like, you know like creative voice and like down the black hole of ideas that's like hey like, yeah. i'm here what if we do this crazy ass everything thing wow so there's a yeah that's the greatest thing about collaboration right it yeah. just opens up all the you know from working with cameron Tondui, like they make music but they also do 
uh, like structural design, like architecture. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it just wasn't on my radar to think like, I need to work with an architect to make my trippy visuals cool. Right. I just never thought of that. Right. And then I, uh, they showed me like, uh, you know, they invented a space that couldn't necessarily exist in real life, but it can exist in this program. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we send the camera through it and then we added visuals to it. And it's like, <laughs> holy shit. <laughs> so, yeah. you know, I think it's like you got to collaborate with people to keep opening the scope. And mm-hmm. so with that little masterpiece idea, I'm like, I don't even know if I'm ready to birth that baby. Yeah. But I can feel her. She's kicking. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. So with like your experience being in school and just being like, just being an artist, you know, like, and you're talking about collaborations, how do you go about deciding if like you, and art's relative also, you know, mm-hmm. but like if it's, if it's your creations, how do you decide if someone's just not a good fit? You know, or like, how do you know if someone's not a, like it's, kind of intense to say but some people are just not a good actor or not a good fit for your thing or like mm-hmm. like a maybe even like a certain gig you might think these artists might not fit well like how do you yeah. go about deciding that um i think for me it's uh it's about feeling mm-hmm. right so i don't think it's like i don't think it ever should have to come to like i don't think you're good enough mm-hmm. or i think you're bad mm-hmm. i don't think that's helpful yeah. Um, Correct. I think it might get what you what that person needs. Like, I need this actor to know I don't want to work with them. Telling them they're a bad actor, we'll do that. <laughs> um, but I think that it's more about feeling. So I just stick to talking about that. So I think yeah. if someone sends me a song and they're like, "What? Like, can you do? Would you want to do a music video for this? How much would that cost?" And I listen to the song and I don't like it. Like, I just I just tell them like, you know, I listen to it and you know, usually when I hear, like something that I can connect to like I know there's something happens like I I start seeing it and I didn't and so (laughs) that doesn't mean the song is bad it just means someone else should make the music video yeah because it will be a better music video if someone makes it who likes the song yeah um and the specific example that I'm going I'm drawing from this person reached out to me again with a different song and then I loved that song Mm. and then we did make a music video for it so I don't think it's helpful to, you know, to say no too strongly, even if it's not right, you know, and I've had bands ask me to do visuals where it's kind of like, I don't know if I'm your vibe, you know, or, you know, even like just being like a queer person, like if someone's like a super macho, like they almost have a misogynistic vibe about their rock music. Mm. It's like, yeah, I mean, I get like you want a trippy light show, but me as Blazing Space like I can't vibe with this art message here. Right. Like what's that what is that one song I liked until I still kinda it's like a guilty pleasure song and I, I feel like if I say it out loud people are like, What the fuck? What is that one song? Oh, that guy's wearing like a football helmet almost. It's like don't push. It's like twenty it's what is that called? Fuck. It's one of those it's not nickelback, it's almost like nickelback. Ah oh, fuck. I'm complete. He has like you know those like old football looking helmets that aren't actually helmets. Mm-hmm. Do you know what song I'm talking about? It's like it's called Push or Don't Push. Um, maybe it's Twenty. Something. It sounds familiar what you're saying, <sighs> but I don't remember it. But I'm just thinking <clears throat> I can imagine you saying no to that guy. Fuck. Yeah, it's like an older like 2000 song. Well, and Fuck, the cool thing called. is sometimes when it's not something you'd expect to be a part of, like for example, 
uh, like we're just talking about like man rock, right? Uh, man so, rock. Like, which, you know, not to make anybody that I put under this umbrella mad, like I'm just saying like you're men who make rock. So like let's agree to that okay. window, right? Um, if I'm accurate about those people. But in like a band like 10 Miles Wide is not the type of music that I would like I listen to on my Saturday afternoon at the beach. Right. But they asked to work with me and I was like, hmm, like, you know, they're all their advertising and everything seems sort of like man rock. Right. But then I listened to the music and I kind of like ended up listening to the album twice mm. in a row. And I was like, wow, this guy, John, like the lead singer is like, I don't know if this is my kind of music, but I can tell that he's performing really well. Yeah. Like, there's some real acrobatics going on in the vocals. Yeah. And then I was listening to the drumming especially and was like, gosh, man, my friend Will Andrews is really good on the drums and so it made me excited to do the show and then it's like a yes and then when we worked together it was like magic like i i felt like i got what they were trying to do with the mm -hmm. art and there wasn't a point of friction just because it's man rock right and so it's just the trappings of genre <laughs> yeah. and so i also try to not be trapped by by genre if somebody asks me and like i like afro cop i work with a lot that's like blade runner open jazz music mm -hmm. Noel Brass Jr. just takes everybody wherever he's going to go and the other musicians are following him mm -hmm. and I'm following him as a visual artist so for a while it kind of was like that's what I like that's my thing right. it's like let's jam we don't even know what's going to happen next they're they're like doing it you know without a net and so am I on the visuals but then I'll have a show where somebody's like I want this when I say this and I want this when I say this and mm -hmm. then I want a still image no visuals right and so that, like, as an artist, it makes you think, like, well, do I do that? Is that my thing? Right. But I think for me, it it works within my philosophy of like my thing is the collaboration. Mm. There are no like hard fast rules to it. Right. So that, it's, that's also kind of like a client, I guess. So you kind of have to follow, or how does that sure. work for you? Once you say yes, yeah, like, what what would be the point in in uh going up swimming upstream if yeah. it makes the show worse right if you're doing something that they don't want you to do yeah um and often the artist you know it's their music it's their art so as the visual artist i'm there to support them and i don't want i enjoy not having to put so much of myself into it mm. probably in like a sort of zen way or something like give me something to put all the brain chaos at right so do you reach out to people and do they mostly reach out to you now or how does that work for you Mostly people reach out to me, but I reach out to people too mm -hmm. um, if it just seems like a good opportunity or if I've done visuals with them before. Like it's just like, oh, cool, we maybe mm. this this could happen. Um, or like with the best you've ever seen shows with the movie remixes, mm -hmm. I was reaching out to people saying like, I would love to remix this film and have you do the soundtrack. Are you, uh, yeah, are yeah. you interested? So you, you kind of do you ever curate shows then besides like the movie remixes? Like do you ever like look at a venue and be like, I want to have this group of artists and I want to like make a whole show around each like uh, artist that goes up on stage. I definitely uh, think that, but I haven't really done it outside of the movie remixes. Mm. I mean, with Cat Pack, we, I did, mm. we, we curate bills and promote them. Yeah. Um, so I've definitely had experience doing that. Weird at Night is almost like that now, mm -hmm. but I'm doing it with music videos and with recorded content. Um, but there will definitely be some sort of weird at night live situation. Yeah. It's it's been cooking for a long time, and all everyone who does weird at night is mostly a live art artist. So it's well, I hope they're not only dead. a matter of time. Mm -hmm. Yeah, <laughs> well, we do actually do do a lot of art pieces on Sun Ra and people who are dead. Oh, there although we go. I think 
if I'm getting the Sun Ra philosophy right, I don't think he is dead. Or he can die, right? He's like among the stars. I don't even know who that is. Oh, you mm, tap into that's a uh, Sun Ra like Afro psychedelia. Oh, yeah, like uh, uh, he's he was a jazz uh artist. He was and he'd put bands together. And I'm trying oh. to remember the name of his orchestra, but it's like. But he is like actually dead, or he might not be. He he has <laughs> there is a death certificate for the human being who used to play. Music. We're as assuming Sun his Ra. death. <laughs> but Sun Ra, throughout his entire life, claimed he was from another planet and that he was a being that could live thousands of years. Whoa. And he never uh, walked back on that. I hope he, at least here on Earth, lived a long life. That'd be oh, he did. Okay. Yeah, that's all good, all the way up until like almost the, I think even in the 2000s, he was still touring with his weird little orchestra. They just kind of make, I mean, it's not for me to say if it's music or not, but you know, they kind of build up <laughs> to a noise energy and then they oh. kind of take it into songs. But yeah, Sun Ra is also, you know, an incredibly talented musician. So it's like it's he's making noise on purpose. He could definitely make very complex music. Yeah. So are you like a pop culture guy at all? Or uh, I don't know. I guess I'd guy. Say... Can I say guy? I feel like I say guy for everything. Well, I was like, I mean, I'm not a guy, but I'm not a pop culture person really. I mean, I'm a curious person. If mm. I'm scrolling Facebook and it's like. The Rock tells shocking tale about past. I'm uh, like, I kind of want to know. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wait, what about like, I'm just trying to figure out like how you find like the movie clips. Like, do you ever, are uh-huh. you just watching, like, do you just watch a movie and be like, oh, I want to cut that? Or like, yeah. how does that work for you? Yeah, definitely. It's like, I, I, I'm a consumer of media for sure. Mm-hmm. In the way that that would be like being a pop culture guy. Like, I love uh, bring it you know like if, mm. if you were like i also have this music project i'm like i'll listen to it later right, i'm right. just one i like to put the things in my brain and mm. so with movies yeah it's like i'm watching a movie and like that would be a great sample mm. uh or with the movie remixes you find them you know like tron yeah, so yeah. many moments in tron that now in my other vj sets that aren't about tron i'll use that sample again because i know like ooh, this feels like falling you know, this drum solo feels like everything's falling apart. So I want to use that part from Tron where the the program falls apart and they tumble down. Yeah. Um, so I think a lot of it is like uh, keeping all the ideas in the ether, you mm-hmm. know, just like probably a jazz musician. It's like there's a lot of different melodies you can play. And then from practicing and doing a lot of shows, I've played different melodies with different clips. So I've like used Metropolis in a scary way. I've also used it in a like oh. happy way. and. Uh, or a ironic way or like a feminist way because there's like this strong woman about to pull this switch that blows the thing up in the movie. Right. Um, so I think, yeah, it's like just letting those ideas be in the moment and trying not to have something else taking up too much space in your head so that at any moment you could be like, oh, yeah, the chase scene from that. Oh, do I have that? Yeah, yeah it is yeah, on yeah. the hard drive. Yeah, yeah. You Can- know, and so when I'm prepping for a show, what I'll do is I'll, I'll like – you know, get the set list. Like we're doing this awesome show with Ken's. So yeah. we, I've had the set list as a playlist. And so I just kind of like through osmosis, I listen to it and then I start to jam and then I'll, I'll plan the set, mm-hmm. but I won't hold myself to doing what I planned. Mm. Just like being prepared. <laughs> wow, that's, do you DJ also at all or just VJ or? Just VJ. Yeah. I love DJs. Yeah. I like, I love dancing. So I go to a lot of DJ events. Um, and I think, like I was saying, there are a lot of similarities between the art of DJing and VJing. Yeah, yeah. And uh, it's just one, it's just something I haven't done or trained myself to do, but 
What if you could like, like use like artist. a DJ controller for a VJ? That'd be oh, you can. Oh, you can. Yeah, that's kind of what I do. It's like right. a, the machine I have is built for Ableton, uh, yeah, but yeah, I use it yeah, for. Yeah. So with a DJ, like even the Pioneer switching equipment, you could map that visually. Oh. And there are DJs who do that where it's uh, cross mapped. So they oh. they are just DJing, but also every button that they're hitting has a visual cue. Wow. So they can do it simultaneously. Mm-hmm. So yeah, DJing for me is like a. I can see a future of like older artists, me with more like time and the nice house on the lake yeah. and the the home studio, yeah, being like you know secretly crafting my DJ stills skills in the dark. Not even to bring them out and show to anybody. It would yeah. just be fun to have a couple decks and like, play around. What's your like your dream house look like? Would you be like a like a like a like a like one of those like super like white marble houses where everything's just white or like what would I think that'd be kind of crazy for any type of DJ or VJ. The open canvas of white is yeah. fun. <laughs> but I often <laughs> cover my my rooms, even my studio rooms that I think I'll leave white to have no, you know, no ideas interrupting yeah. my thoughts. I'll still cover them in posters and stuff. So mm. um I honestly think I would build like a weird glass house. Like really? it would be like a floating rhombus, just something that Whoa. people would be like, how is that even standing? And I could just be like in the middle of it sipping coffee, <laughs> watching out on, I don't know, let's just say this is like Sun Valley, Idaho. You yeah. know, like some sort of a, I could come to Seattle and hang out and like stay at the Croc Hotel and have a little apartment here, but then yeah. the house would be away from everybody. Same here. I want a house where I need like a helicopter or something. Was, yes. People can't come if they don't. If they're not invited. The closest thing. I've had to that is living in Burien. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty close My helicopter right now. <laughs> was a beat-up van. <laughs> I'm in the woods, so I, I kind of experience that now. But I just, I want, yeah, I just want to be, I like being in Seattle and then just leaving. Mm-hmm. After I don't need to get away from everything. That's one of my favorite things about living here is like in New York City, the other reason I didn't enjoy living there is like if you want to leave the city, you're waiting in an hour of traffic on the <sighs> George Washington. You you can do it, but you know, you got to wake up at 6 a.m. if you want to go to a, go for a hike and not deal with a lot of trouble. Yeah. Um, where in Seattle, yeah, you take a 20 minute drive in almost any direction <laughs> and you're pretty close to nature. Yeah. <clears throat> I love that about this area. Very true. So what's what's next for you? Any cool things? You go, you got this cool. Uh, Ken's Nast thing coming up. Yeah, <laughs> this Saturday we are. Uh, I, this I don't know when these drop, so I don't want to be too time sensitive. Let's do but... like, let's do like Friday or something. We could probably do sooner than later. It helps promote the yeah. Nast show. So yeah, this Ken's Nast show uh, on Saturday is going to be really cool in Redmond at Vape Savvy. Yes, um, I'm excited to work with y'all. I mean, when we met. Uh, Blake, we talked a lot about like, you know, oh gosh, I know so many hip hop artists you could work with. And yes. I mean, you know, it's like, like I said, I'm an artist who's hungry for collaboration. So it's like more artists, younger artists, people. I, I love like that thing that happens in Seattle. Like we're doing the show in Redmond. Yeah. See, I think I've only done visuals in Redmond maybe once before at like a rave or something, you know, not a public event. We so. got to change. See, that's what I'm, that's what I want to do with this, sh- like this show. I want it to be like, I want it to like change how people think about like, podcast and just like events you know i also want it to be a thing where it's always like a smaller thing it's like an ex- it's not it's inclusive but exclusive at the same time you mm-hmm. know and safe i think safe is the well right safety is key yes. there but also there is something to that where because if if you invite too many people there's just a, a lot more other energy there yeah that like if there's live music you're not going to hear that energy because the music's taking over yeah but if you're doing a podcast too it's nice to have people who like 
you learn about this artist, you, you kind of get a sense of admiration. Yeah. You know, like I'm sure we're going to learn a lot about Ken's. I'm sure by the time that the set starts, we're going to be looking at him and being like, you know, we're thinking of his family history. Yeah. Some of the rap verses, we're going to like know what the fuck he's talking about exactly. Yeah. And that's just going to make the whole experience <sighs> so like more uh, organic and yes. lasting for everybody who was there and for everybody who experiences on the Internet. I'm happy we connected, man. Yeah, me too. <laughs> Fuck, I'm, dude. I'm not gonna say, man. I'm so bad with. I just. I'm so bad at names and everything. So I apologize. Yeah. Hey. I mean, you know, you're also like you. <laughs> you. You fucked up. You apologize. You're still kind. Vibe hasn't changed. No problem has happened. There you we know? go. And as like a, you know, stoner for like 14 years steady, it's like. The dude's in the man's fly. For Blazing Space, I don't feel misgendered on it. Um, and I know how reflexive it is because I say it too. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, just to say the other things I have coming up are uh, I've got an Afro Cop show at Vitos, which mm. will be really exciting because that's my return to collaborating with them there for the first time in two years. Whoa. And we used to do a Saturday show every month at wow. Vitos. Uh, and what's special about these shows, anything can happen. Band doesn't know what they're going to play. I don't know what visuals I'm going to show. We're all coming in empty and just with what our skill so it's going to be a lot of fun um and vitos is a beautiful dark environment for light play uh, on february 26th uh forest ray records is having a festival at belton yacht club mm. that's going to be the first time belton yacht club opens up their stage for a big event since uh the whole pandemic time so that's going to be really exciting can't wait to light up belton yacht club and projection map the B the famous byc and then on March 12th, uh, Look Up Fest Portals is taking mm. over Rendezvous, and that's going to be a big uh, experience. Going to do a lot of lot of blazing space tricks are coming out of Portals. Hell yeah! Well, what is some final advice you have for up and coming artists, creators, influencers? Uh, before things, time over money, people over profit, attack with love, art is the antidote. Mm. Yeah. I think I really agree with the time over money, especially. <laughs> Absolutely. Your time is valuable. Yeah. Especially if you're an artist. All of your time is valuable. Yeah. hundred percent. Well, what is the easiest way for people to reach you and what's your website? Oh, thanks. Uh, website would be cblazonspace.com. Uh, also a good website to go to would be weirdatnight.com. Never going to find Blazing Space too far from Weird at Night. And uh, at Blazing Space on all my social channels. And uh, yeah, through my website or through my uh, social channels, it'd be easy to send me an email and uh, let's make some art together. There we go. This is the NAS podcast with Blaze in Space. And we did it. <laughs>